We have to really take inventory of how we understand our spending and find ways to cut the cost wherever we can without cutting the experience and cutting the resource and the opportunity. Hello, my friend, and welcome to this brand new series of A Call to Leadership. I'm your host, Dr. Nate Sala, and every Friday we have what we call our Solo Fridays. It's just you and I in the trenches working on some aspect of your leadership development so that what? You can aim for greatness in leadership by serving others, living the irresistible offer of a life. And so I've spent my entire educational background, my practitioner background, focused on leadership and how we can help one another thrive as leaders. And I'm so excited about this series because this series is about what effective leaders do. And so it's the habits, it's the behaviors, it's the patterns that lead leaders to create influence that develops that kind of shared purpose that has the power to reach our goals together. And so in this series, we're gonna touch on a number of different aspects of leadership. And this isn't just for the adult. It's really interesting. I had a client, a student of mine, talk about how he has his kids in the car when he is listening to the podcast. And I thought, wow, you know, this is not just for the adult leader. We are perpetuating leadership to the next generation. So by infusing these behaviors, these patterns, these characteristics, and allowing them to permeate as seeds in the next generation, it's really heartwarming to me to know that that is being done and we are joining together. Now, can it be boring? Yes. For a 15-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 9-year-old, I know for sure. But that's okay. This may be not the best format for that generation, but there's something to be gleaned from how we spend time. And maybe it's not listening to me. Maybe it's sharing some of these principles with your children and then allowing that to become a part of their daily lives. So just to start this series, lots of different places to start, but I want to start in a place that I thought was really someplace that we don't spend a lot of time with thinking about leadership is leading our finances, leading our money, because money is a tool. It's a resource. It's a fuel. And there's all different ways to look at money. We can look at money like we never have enough money. We can have it, it can even be a disease where greed begins to come in and we feel like, oh, we need more and more. If you ever, there's a show that used to come on, and I'm not sure if it's even on anymore on CNBC, but it was called American Greed. And people were insatiated with, they couldn't resist more and more and more money to where they defrauded people. It was really sad. And that's the point where you're not leading your finances, but the hunger for money leads you. It drives you. And unfortunately, in these cases, it was criminal. So where people were going to jail for doing really bad things to hurt people and take their money from them. And so when we're talking about our money, we really have to come from the perspective of the heart that money is simply a tool that we use to fund our lives. And so coming into this conversation, I want to come into it with you with a pure heart and a pure motive to use it for the good of ourselves and the good of others and with an ethic, with a moral fiber, 
because I believe that that's the most attractive type of leadership, a leadership that walks in a desire to steward our followers, to shepherd them, to provide, not take away, not be deceitful and walk without integrity, but to walk in unity with progressing all parties involved. So when we're thinking about money, whether you're an adult, whether you're a child, think about it from the perspective of what will it take to fund my life? You say, well, what if my life is I need the 70-inch TV and I need the Maserati, I need the fancy vacations and all that? I would say you don't really need those things. Those are wants. There are certain things that you need, and if you haven't listened to the episodes on vision, on a vision for your life, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that last series, and I believe it ends with episode 60 and then 57, 54, and 51. It's a four-part series on vision. I explain the different aspects of your life because you really can't understand what type of financial fuel you'll need unless you understand what kind of life you'd like. And in so doing, you begin to uncover some things. One, you can uncover what kind of mentality you have, what kind of lids you have. Because when I was growing up, I had what you would call a poverty mindset. We were poor. It was just me and my mom for a while until she remarried. And then my brother and sister came along. Before that, it was pretty rough. I mean, there was not much for us to live on. Sometimes we would uh, go hungry. I mean... A little Totino's pizza would be all dinner was, sometimes nothing at all. And so you learn to live that way. So I tell you what, I grew up with the mindset that boy, I had a lot of scarcity in my life. And that scarcity was unsafe. I felt unsafe. And I spent a lot of energy to protect the very little that I had. Instead of having the abundance mindset, which was about the possibilities. You see, when you're in a scarcity mindset, you think about what can't be done. When you're in an abundance mindset, you think about what can be done. When you're in a scarcity mindset, you think, well, this will never amount to anything. And so I have to protect all the very little I have. When you're in an abundance mindset, you think, what are my resources available so that I can magnify and multiply it? It's a totally different environment. It's a totally different mindset. In fact, there's an old story about three individuals who were given a certain sum of money. And I think I've talked about this in other episodes. It, it bears repeating. And the two of them had an abundance mindset. They went and invested the money. And so they multiplied and increased it. One of them had a scarcity mindset. He buried the money. And so, because he didn't want to lose it, right? But the problem was that if you bury your resources because you're afraid to lose it, you will never be able to increase it. And this is the beginning of this conversation we're having. Because one of your very first resources in multiplying your financial picture is going to be you. It's going to be your skills, your abilities, your talents. The more you have those in the marketplace, the more value you have. And that increased value means increased opportunity because it's relevant to the needs of the community. And then others begin to bind around you to say, hey, we need more of you. And then you say, hey, I can provide more of me. And here is the value proposition. Here is the cost. So when I started out in taxes, I charged 10 bucks. 
10 bucks, what we call the 1040 EZ, 10 bucks to do your tax return if you had a basic return. And my value proposition was pretty low because I was just getting started and I was a novice. But as my skills improved, as my abilities increased, as my resources improved, and as the value rose, then my pricing went up. So then I could charge more because I was giving more value in the, my abilities. I was able to do more complex work and more complex work meant a higher price tag because it had more value. So I went from $10 to $50 to 100 to 500 and sometimes many thousands of dollars to do the kind of work that we do. And so this is the progression. Now, what does that have to do with finance? Well, that gives you more an abundance and accumulation. So instead of focusing on what can't be done, focus on how your skills can develop. Where are you right now with your own abilities. Again, whether you're young or whether you're progressing in life, we all have to do an assessment on our skills. What is it that we're developing? So if you're young and you're spending most of your time, say for example, daydreaming and gaming, and there's nothing wrong with gaming. I got a son who's a gamer, but if that skill is going to add value to how you're welcomed in the marketplace, then develop that. If not, if it's more of a hobby, let it be a hobby and then develop other skills that you know will be marketable so that you can then begin to accumulate that wealth so that you can use it as fuel to fund your life. And so it took me a long time to figure this out personally. You know, I didn't, truth be told, like I've always had a fascination with wealth and money, even when I was a little kid. And I guess partly because we didn't have much, but when I would earn money, I should say, even when I was, I'd say about 11, 12 years old, I would take my money, $1 bills or whatever bills I had, and I would take a bar of soap and I would rub the bar of soap on each side of each dollar that I had. Now, it smelled good and it gave it a little bit of a wax, but I wanted my money to be smelling good and clean. And uh, it was silly to think about it today, but I wanted to take care of it, the point I'm making. And so I wanted it to be uh, well represented in my life. And then, so I didn't want to spend a lot of money. I wasn't a person who, I always wanted to make sure I was spending wisely. And so when I was growing up, it's important, and you might feel this way too, you know, I didn't spend a whole lot of time looking at everybody else and saying, well, I need to have those kind of shoes, those fancier shoes, or I need to have that fancier jacket or that fancier car. I would buy, boy, I did have a BMW when I was maybe in my 20s, but the BMW was a salvage title car. I bought it for $6,000. And so what's a salvage title car? It means it's been wrecked and it's been fixed. Now, whether you buy that or not, the point is, is that I was trying to find opportunities to not spend more than I'm earning so that I could start to save and reinvest. And that's another piece of building your wealth. Another piece of building wealth is not spending your earnings. This is an epidemic. I'm not going to say that that was always the case because when I was fresh 18, I was given credit cards and, uh, well, they were store cards. So the Dillard's and before Macy's, there was famous bar and Sears. And I was like, wow, I've got these cards. Look at that. This one's got a $500 limit. This one's got a $3,000 limit. This one's got a $5,000 limit. And guess what I started doing? Buying clothes. Well, because I didn't have the discipline and the education to properly manage that, I racked those bills up. And when I racked those bills up, guess what happened? I'm paying 25, 30% interest now, 
And with my salary, my income, working where I was working, there was no way that I was ever going to be able to pay those off in full. So I'm just paying interest and I'm just feeding the machine for these clothes I bought. Why? Because I didn't have discipline. Discipline is essential to leading your finances. It's essential to making sure that I'm not outspending my earnings. And honestly, if you want to look at it from the perspective of what do the poor do, what do the middle class do, and what do the wealthy do? The poor spend most of their money on food and cars and just their normal bills. The middle class spend most of their money on nicer homes, vacations, nicer clothes. The wealthy, they don't spend a whole lot of money on that. They spend most of their money on reinvesting in businesses and real estate. And so if you're thinking about how I can generate more cash flow, more capital, you really have to get disciplined about your spending. It took me a long time to figure that out. In fact, I was over almost $100,000 in debt after starting my first business before I realized, man, I've got to get off this frivolous spending rat race. I got to stop doing it. And I went into a payment program. I paid every month. I paid just under $1,300 a month for five and a half years to pay all that off. And when I paid it all off, I learned a lesson. Save more than you spend. Now, how much should that be? Some people say 10%. Some say 20%. Some say 50%. Some say, if you want to generate wealth, take 50% of what you earn and put it towards savings. Some say, if you want generational wealth, take 25%, use it for your expenses, save 75%. And they say, how could I possibly do that? It takes discipline. And you may not be there yet, but you can be there. But th- just think about it. If you had $100,000 in income a year and you spent 25000 of it, you say, you can't live and live for 25000 Nate. You must be crazy. Okay. I, maybe I'm crazy. And then you saved 75000 of it. In 10 years, you'd have 750000 That's without interest. But what if you took the 75000 and you invested it and bought a rental property or three rental properties with $25,000 down a piece. Now they're earning you passive income. What if you invested in a business with that 75000 and that business is then after three years making you 30 to 40% income on it, right? Then you say, wow, I'm glad I lived on that 25000 that first year because now I've multiplied, I've doubled, tripled, quadrupled my income annually. And now it's easier because now I've got $400,000 in income. It's easier to live on a hundred grand. The problem people do, and I've seen this, I've seen this time and time again in my own practice, in my own life, is that people live to their means. So you get the raise to 50 grand, boom, I'm living at 50 grand. You get the raise to 75,000, boom, I'm living at 50, 75, a hundred thousand, I'm living at a hundred, two, three, four. I've seen people at half a million dollars a year living check to check. You say, how could that even be possible, Nate? That's crazy. I would never do that. You sure? If you don't have discipline, you will. So you must have the discipline to not look around and say, I have to live like whoever, the Kardashians, I don't know. And really just stay in your lane and focus on the reinvestment aspect of your life. When I was in my 20s, I started investing in a modified whole life policy. And at first it was 100 bucks a month. And that was 500 and 1000 and $1,500. And automatic. 
And so when you start allowing that money just to accumulate for you, then it compounds the interest and then it begins to just perpetuate itself. So I got in the mindset of investing in the rental properties. I got in the mindset of investing in the businesses and putting money away into some safer types of investments. And then guess what happens? You begin to accumulate wealth. You say, well, for what purpose? Again, to fund the life that you desire. And for me, I just, you know, what I want to be able to do is support my family. I want to be able to have a surplus to save for the future. I want to be able to give and donate and provide for the needs of those in the community around me and continue to invest in the businesses that I believe are going to lead me to the legacy of the life I want to be remembered by. So these are the nuts and bolts, if you will. And I've watched people in my own practice who do this and they don't live extravagantly. They have regular cars. Now you say, Nate, what about you? Well, if you know me, you know, I like cool cars, but I buy my cool cars right. I don't lose money on my cars. I drive them for a bit. And I actually generally, it's crazy to say this, but I make money. And so you have to be a savvy investor, savvy purchaser. If you can understand the market, understand what's going on around you and really focus on how can I best maximize my opportunities. To this day, when I'm in the shopping center buying my groceries, to this day, I will go buy the value section. And the value section, there's markdown foods that are sometimes like foods from a couple days that are cold. Today, just today, I picked up a salad that was marked down to $5 from, I think, $7.99. And I'm going to eat it tomorrow. And I don't have to do that at this stage of my life, I can buy an expensive salad, but why? It tastes just as good. In fact, I'd make the argument that, you know, you eat at a five-star restaurant, sometimes Taco Bell tastes just as good, a $15 Taco Bell meal as a $150 five-star cuisine. Somebody listening is going to say, no, Nate, you've not experienced delicious cuisine. Well, of course, I'm being facetious in some ways, but the point is, is that we have to really take inventory of how we understand our spending and find ways to cut the cost wherever we can without cutting the experience and cutting the resource and the opportunity. You know, don't go out there and buy cheap stuff that's just going to break down in a year or months that you have to go out and replenish. My philosophy is I would rather buy quality at a little higher price that's going to last me twice as long because the return on investment is higher. So use that mindset. Now, the other piece is this. Who do I have around me? Who you have around you is going to be essential to building your financial picture, leading your finances. Do I have a wealth manager, i.e. a financial advisor, somebody who will understand the markets, understand how to help me to save in different areas and compound my earnings as well as my 401k or my SEP or different types of retirement vehicles and also lines of credit, things like that. Do I have a tax accountant, someone who is not only a tax preparer, but a tax planner, tax strategist? And you cannot underestimate the value of someone who understands the code and who will lower your tax liabilities to help you to save money. Plus, someone who understands how to help you get access to cash, especially when you need it most. 
someone you can bounce ideas off of when you do have cash resources or when someone wants to invest or when you have a need or an opportunity to invest. You have to have those people around you. You have to have a tax attorney or and an estate planning attorney. These are, and a business attorney, really three attorneys. You can put them on retainer, just having them around you so that when something comes up where you need those people, make sure that you can access them. You need a banker. You need a good business, especially if you're in business, you have a small business or a medium-sized business, have access to someone or a group who you can contact to say, hey, look, I may need access to cash or capital for whatever reasons. You say, well, Nate, I follow the Dave Ramsey's approach and I don't, I don't want to have debt to anybody. You don't have to have debt to need a banker. And some would argue that financing your growth is an effective method. That's not a conversation we're going to have here today. But it goes without saying that the banking relationships are really, really important. So a vice president of a bank, and I would suggest two to three uh, different banks and or credit unions. I've found those relationships to be invaluable as I lead my finances. Those individuals, and here's what you want to do. You want to reach out. You want to talk to those individuals. You want to ask them questions before you make financial decisions. I've had in the past people who have not had conversations with me or someone else in their camp, and they've made poor choices. And all it took was a text message, a phone call, and aversion to near disaster could have easily been made in five minutes. You have to access your network. You have to access those around you who have skill sets that you don't have with finances because they will help you move forward and develop those resources necessary to fund the life you desire to have. And if you don't have them and you need them, ask around. Ask your friend group. Get involved with a group, whether it's a BNI or a leadership group. We've got a great group called the Business Leaders Network or BLN Community, B and as in Nancy, community.com, which has re- access to all kinds of resources in business when it comes to finance. We've got fractional CFOs in the group. We've got tax planners and strategists. We've got financial advisors. We've got all kinds of people in the group who pour into one another and help you along that journey. And they will help you too. They will help you lead your finances rather than be in bondage to your impulses. Because when you have people who you can will hold you accountable to leading your finances rather than being held in bondage to your impulses, you'll reach out to them first before you make a decision. And they will help you immensely. Make sure you have those people in your camp. As, we've, as we finalize this segment, I want to say this. I want to say that uh, there are going to be times when you have much There's going to be times when you may not have anything. Have the heart of optimism that no matter what happens with your finances, whether their bank accounts empty or whether you have finances to last years, don't forget that you can make a difference whether you have little or you have much. You can make a difference whether you're building an empire or you're just getting started. You can make a difference today, no matter what your financial circumstances are. Believe that you can achieve. To believe is to be living. And that means that whatever I set my mind to believe, that means I'm living in that direction. 
So if you believe in scarcity, then that's what you'll achieve. If you believe in abundance, that's what you'll achieve. I have a student who believed in abundance by having this grand vision to help people every single day. And so this mindset of helping someone every single day encouraged them to find ways, find opportunities, find resources, because the vision was clear and clarity is power. So start with your vision of how you'd like your finances to look to fund the life you want, and then begin to build it as you so desire. Well, my friend, thank you for joining me on this episode of A Call to Leadership. If you've been listening, you've probably heard me talk about our accounting and advisory business. And this show was actually born out of that business, those relationships. I found that entrepreneurs and professionals were missing aspects of their leadership that fed into their bottom line and helped their businesses be successful. So I'm so thankful that I've had all those years in that area to feed into this. And the truth is that so many people still need accounting and advisory help and they don't know where to go. If you're in that place where you feel, oh my goodness, my tax person or my accountant, I can't find them, or maybe the service wasn't up to my expectations, do not despair. I'll leave how you can find us in the show notes, and one of my team members can do some discovery and help you along your journey. You're not alone, my friend. You always have help. I'm Dr. Nate Sala. Can't wait to see you on the next show of A Call to Leadership.